0: Hello and welcome to Front Office Features. I am Rob Crane, and this week our guest is John Bishop, Associate Vice President of Team Marketing and Business Operations of the NBA. To get a start, John drove from Texas to North Carolina. As John said, he was going to be, quote unquote, in the area. Well, if America is the definition of in the area, then I guess that's true. Um, John was a part of a Hall of Fame intern class, crazy class uh, intern class with the Durham Bulls that included uh, MIL, future MILB execs, Major League Baseball execs, uh, NBA execs, and even the current president of uh, NYFC of the MLS. Uh, John tells an awesome story about a part-time person uh, in Durham uh, that led to a full-time job and was all about two things we talk about on this podcast all the time effort, and attitude. John also describes in detail what he does each day. Let me cut to the chase. No day is quite the same and all very interesting. He's launched about six or seven G League teams uh, from, the ground up, uh, from the ground up. Talk about unique experiences, right? John also talks a lot about how the NBA is changing and why he and I both agree that they are one of the most cutting-edge organizations in all of sports. Right now, there's an experiment going on where you in the G League where you shoot one free throw and get two or three points. Pretty cool, right? What do you think? Well, no matter. Uh, the NBA is willing to try something new, and I love that. Uh, John sprinkles in great advice throughout our discussion, and uh, like always, I had a ton of fun doing it. Um, but before we get to the interview, here's what I want you to do. I need, we need you to do this. It's not about want. This is about Need. I need you to open up Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, search Front Office Features, hit that like, hit that follow button, uh, and uh, and give us a follow on our social media channels. We're trying to put out more and more content, and want to thank a big thank you, big thank you, goes out to Amanda Weaver, who... Uh, Did us a great solid, has put out uh, and created some great video content for us, and very appreciative. So Amanda, thank you very much for listening, and thank you again for helping us out with that video content. And while you're at it, uh, open up that Apple Podcast, Spotify thing, hit the five-star review, uh, and give Front Office Features that five-star review that I know you want to give. All right, assuming that you've accomplished all those tasks, I give you, without further ado, the one and only John Bishop. Hello, and welcome to Front Office Features. I am Rob Crane. Today, our guest is John Bishop. He's the Associate Vice President for the MBA's Team Ball, which is Team Marketing and Business Operations. John, welcome to Front Office Features.
1: Hey, thanks, Rob. I'm, uh, I'm actually a big fan of the show, so it's just pretty exciting to be on with you. You're the one.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah you, you and my mom, I think. Uh no, I'm just kidding. We're actually seeing uh great growth on the show. Uh the other uh the other night we actually John uh Chris Valente, my partner in this and I uh skyped into a sport management uh group um actually fraternity at uh South Carolina and uh and talked with them through Skype. It was a, it was a lot of fun. This is a ton of fun. I'm having so much fun.
1: Very cool. No, you're doing good work. I mean, this is um, not only important for people that are looking to get into industry, uh, but, you know, just me, you know, who's been in this thing for, you know, almost 25 years, enjoy the, uh, the stories and, and learning more about really kind of areas of the business that I don't get to touch that frequently. So it's uh, been, been fun for me as well. Oh, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm glad. Thank you very much. So,
0: um, You've had a great uh, sports career. It's uh, it's started in uh, minor league baseball. It's gone uh, a little bit over to the uh, to NASCAR and the track, and now at the NBA. But in my opinion, uh, one of the most important things when you're a young uh, sports executive is finding a mentor. How did people like John Spolstra, Brad Sims, Barry Gibson? Uh, how did they influence uh, your career when? How much did they mean to uh, your career?
1: Oh, a ton. In, in fact, I would uh, I would say that was a huge part of me, you know, really beginning my sports career um, and kind of taking me to where I am today. Um, you know, I joined the uh, the Durham Bulls in uh, the fall of '97. Uh, that was a you know interesting time when you're when you're out being a job seeker. Right? You didn't have quite the same resources that uh, you, you have today. In fact, I mean there were teams that didn't have websites back then. Um, and, and I got my start. Um, you know, re- really, I, I, I think about my time in college. I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. I was uh, working in promotions and marketing at uh, Texas A&M, uh, mainly working football games. Uh, I was also... Your, your alma mater. Yes. Uh, and I was also working at the local TV station covering Friday Night Football and some other, other things. And simultaneously, I had a real job, which was in um, uh, leasing uh, for student housing. I, I would like give kids uh, tours uh, on the... Um, of the, of the facility and, and try and sell them into living at our property. And so really those three things, I was trying to figure out, um, you know, what's a, um, you know, kind of the, the the path that I want to take. And, you know, I uh, decided, well, you know, minor league baseball, I talked to a few people, minor league baseball is a, a place where there's, um, you know, a lot of jobs, there's a lot of teams. I thought that sounded like a good idea. So I sent out a hundred resumes to, Uh, Teams across uh, across the country, I um, I probably didn't hear back from half of them, and and I think probably forty eight of them wrote back no thanks, and there were two that wrote back and said you know hey we'll we'll talk to you. Um, One of those was uh, Sherry Myers in Lansing, uh, Michigan, and I had a phone call with her, and the other. Was um, Gillian's doctor with the Durham Bulls? She sent me a letter and said, "You know, if you're ever in the area, we'll, we'll chat with you." Drove uh, drove to Durham uh, over a, a weekend uh, from to, from uh, Texas. On staff. <laughs> What's up? So from Texas. From Texas, um, drove to Durham for your interview. I did. In, in fact, I, I mean, and this is probably a good lesson for for folks listening. Um, that the I wasn't invited to do an interview. The letter merely said, if you're ever in the area, we'll talk. To you. <laughs> and right. so I decided I better get to that area. <laughs> you better get to North Carolina. Nobody else was responding. So literally uh, with my wife of about three months, we got in the car on a Friday afternoon, uh, drove to North Carolina, which is uh, I, it's a really long drive, Rob. I, I don't know. It's like 18 hours or something. Holy and, mackerel. And I uh, drove there, uh, spent time with the staff on Saturday and um, got in the car and went, went back home. And they offered me a job. And that's, you know, back to your point, I, I got real lucky, um, not only in, in picking that job, but landing in a place that had a lot, of, um, a lot of good people already working there that ended up being my mentors, like you mentioned. So, you know, some of the people that, that you just mentioned just now, um, you know, Brad Sims, Um, was hired in a similar role as as I was. Uh, We were, uh, I think we were called trainees. It wasn't even like a full, it wasn't a full-time year-round position. It was just uh, to get the Bulls through the baseball season. And Brad and I actually uh, roomed together Um, while my wife was finishing school. uh, We roomed together for a few months. Uh, Luckily, the team provided subsidized housing in addition to paying minimum wage. Oh, there you go. You were getting rich. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We were eating spaghetti and ramen every night. But uh, uh, Brad uh, was somebody that, you know, was really doing some good things in Durham. At the end of his term, he ended up going and and working um, in in minor league baseball uh, with with another organization. Um, And, you know, he ended up joining the NBA I uh, ended up working for the Cavaliers and today he's president of NYCFC and the MLS. And, um, you know, he's somebody that, you know, we've stayed in touch with, you know, over this 22 years and I happened to get to room with him for a few months back when we first started. And so Brad is somebody that's, you know, always been a mentor. Um, but that staff was really special. If you, if you look at that staff, you mentioned Barry Gibson, Barry was my boss. He was head pick of pickup sales for the, Durham Bulls. Now he's vice president of ticket sales for the Indiana Pacers. And he's been a great mentor this, uh, this whole time as well. Barry's boss was Gillian Zucker. She's the one that, that brought me in. Gillian was the assistant GM for the Durham Bulls. Gillian's now the president of the LA Clippers. That's incredible. Um, yeah,
0: it's like a Hall of Fame <laughs> staff. It's, uh, you know, I feel like it's one of those uh, famous, like football coaches, like uh, those kind of trees that you see, whether it's a Bill Belichick tree or the, uh, you know, uh, uh, Walsh tree from San Francisco. It, uh,
1: it's exactly that, is right. that's been crazy. Yeah, and in fact, so our head groundskeeper, my Bookholder is now the head groundskeeper of the of the Phillies, uh, Brian Crichton who was on that staff, a uh, good friend. He is uh, president of Talladega Speedway. Um, Matt West, who was in sponsorship there, uh, became VP of business ops for the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, uh, all these people are on, well, like, about a 20-person staff in Holy Europe. Michael. And so not only were they mentors, but they were people that I learned from in a, a really special environment. Um, and, in fact, uh Probably a month into the job, I, I knew nothing about ticket sales. Uh, I, I probably only took the job in ticket sales because it was, uh, you know, it was a job in, in baseball, and um, it, you know, paid me commission, so maybe I could eat more than spaghetti. Um, yeah. But a month into my employment, uh, Gillian brought in John Spolster to do training for our staff, and John is as good as it gets when it comes to. Um, training and and providing a philosophy in which to sell on. And, you know, he came in. I didn't really have any kind of prior habits or any, you know, knew knew much about the industry at all. And I just followed what John said and decided, well, this is going to be mine. This is what I'm going to do. And, uh, you know, he, I, I couldn't have been in a better situation. Again, surrounded by great people and got some great training right off the bat. And I think that was instrumental to, you know, the the success that, that would come later in the career.
0: I think there's some things to learn from there, too, is not only did you get there's some luck involved with, you know, all the great people that were there. Not everyone has Hall of Fame staffs, but I also think you did a wonderful job of realizing that. And then turning that into a learning experiences. Look what those guys are doing. Look what John's doing. Uh, look what all these people are doing. And being able to be a sponge uh, as as you go to work each day, uh, I think that is a valuable lesson which all of us can learn
1: from. Absolutely. I mean, I, I was learning from everyone on that staff. I realized I was in a, a great place. And and you know how minor league baseball can be. You know, new opportunities come available. You know, just about every year, you know, you probably have an opportunity to go somewhere else and and uh, maybe even take a little better role by moving to a different organization. But I realized I was around a lot of really special people and chose to stay in Durham because of that. Um, You know, I could have taken like an assistant GM job with a a smaller organization and kind of had to be, you know, had to be the person to run the team. But I realized I wasn't in that you know, I wasn't ready for that. I wasn't ready to go and run a team after a year of minor league baseball. I, I knew there was a lot more to learn and decided to stay put. And it was uh, it was the right move.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It uh, It seems like it's all worked out in the, in the right way. So you talk a little bit about who you were, uh, you know, the great staff that you're with. I don't think early days in, you know, whether it's minor league baseball or anything, have changed that much. So can you describe to our listeners a little bit about what you did kind of in that first, second year of your, uh, of your, of your sports career?
1: Sure. So it was interesting. When I was hired to go to Durham, uh, the team was moving from single A to triple A. And that was because Major League Baseball had just expanded by adding Arizona and Tampa Bay. And so all of a sudden, you needed two more AAA teams, two more AA, two more high A. You know, it, it was an influx of new teams being added to minor league baseball. And Durham was in a unique position to really make the move from Class A to AAA based on the market size and the, the stadium that's been recently built. And so, when Gillian hired me, um, she was like, "I'm not exactly sure where we're going to put you. We just want you to." come on board because we we know we're going to need some bodies for this transition and i was willing to do that i was willing to go in there and and just wear whatever hat i needed to wear it ended up being that i had success in in ticket sales but um you know you're you're asked to do a little bit of everything and i was willing to do it i think you you find that people that have success in minor league baseball are willing to you know humble themselves and, and do whatever is asked and um while I was, you know, selling tickets, you know, 80% of the time I was, you know, helping in any area of the business, I could the other 20% of the time. And again, that's that makes for some long days on on game days, you know, but it's not unusual to show up before the sun rises. So you can get the, the tarp off the field, huh. you run and, and you know, maybe if you have a game that night, in that scenario, you're doing some prep to get ready for the, the game that day. You're still trying to sell some tickets because every single day you need to be, you know, really kind of uh, thinking about how we're going to fill the, the stadium the, the following day or the following week or the following month. And, but then you're also, you know, um, oftentimes charged with managing a you know portion of the game day staff, even, even, you know, in your first year, I was uh, overseeing our suite level uh, at, uh, the bulls and I had a, I had a game day staff that I had to manage and uh, that, you know, and then at the end of the night, you might have to put the carpet on the field <laughs> overnight. And so, you know, you, you're looking at maybe a, a 16 hour day uh, that you, a lot of different things, but I think that kept the work interesting. I think yeah, that, right? it, it, it kept you um, really dialed in to, several areas of the business that at the time you might think like, gosh, it's, uh, this may not be my, my job or maybe what they're paying me to do, but that ends up helping you, um, you know, a few years later maybe manage those departments or, um, you know, you decide to go on and lead a team. It's going to help you, um, you know, that you had, uh, exposure to more than just your one area of the business.
0: Yeah, and I think too we talk a lot on this podcast about saying yes, right, and just being able to do whatever. So where you said wear whatever hat that they ask you to wear and kind of humble yourself is you know when you get out of college and you got the nice piece of paper, you don't don't think that you're going to be I don't know in the mud pulling tarp or slinging hot dogs or you know putting trays of macaroni and cheese away. Uh, but that's part of it. And, uh, I think that that happens no matter whether you're in minor league baseball or you're in major league baseball, or you're at the NBA, there's going to be some humbling aspect and saying yes. And doing that with a smile on your face goes a long, long way.
1: For sure. And, and I think about the people that have had the most success coming out of Durham were folks who did just that. I, I, I one specific um guy that I'm remembering, um guy named Dennis Fryer. Uh Dennis was someone who wanted to be on our ticket sales staff. Uh we didn't think we had the room for him. We were like, well he just may not be ready for this and you know we decided to go a different direction. And Dennis wasn't going to take no for an answer. And Dennis uh joined our our uh game day staff and wanted to prove himself uh worthy. And man, the guy showed a ton of hustle and, and, you know, we had our eye on him. We're like, man, this guy, I mean, he's, he's doing everything and then some, even though we didn't add him to the ticket cell staff. And, and then a year after doing that, we decided, man, we better bring this guy on. This guy, you know, he'll, he'll add a lot to what we're doing. We hired Dennis in really in that, in that kind of trainee type role. He goes out there, he blows it out of the water. We, we bring him uh, in as a full time, uh, sales rep. I, I think he probably did hundred and eighty percent of goal. It was just no I mean, you know one, one of those guys that you couldn't stop and he ended up going from there to um the, the Washington Capitals um, in ticket sales and, and here he is I mean, you know, probably seven or eight years removed from that first uh, job in Durham. Now he's the director of ticket sales for the Ravens in Baltimore. That's incredible and incredible. Um, you know, it's a guy that, you know, really proved himself by hustling and by showing, you know, what he, he could bring to the table, even though, you know, he could have walked away and said, well, gosh, if they don't want me, I'll, I'll just go somewhere else. But he was bound and determined to prove himself. And, and he did.
0: I love that effort and attitude, right? You work your butt off uh, and do it with a smile on your face. Uh, you'll be surprised on the places that it will take you.
1: Absolutely. Uh, and there are so many examples of that. And, you know, um, that, that's the great thing about minor league baseball is you, you do have a nice churn through staff. I mean, sometimes you wish people would stick around a little bit longer, but you get to see all of these personalities and people, you know, come in each season and, you know, there's always a few that step up and those are the ones that end up having, you know, great careers in this industry.
0: Love it. Um, In Durham, Durham has always been a premier franchise. You all won the Bob Freitas award, which is basically the best minor league baseball team Um, when you guys were sitting in your meetings internally, did you feel the weight of those decisions are being made because you felt like you had an extra spotlight on you because you were the Durham Bulls and you were a model franchise, or did you make decisions based on kind of what's best for the timing, what's best for the situation, what's best for the market?
1: I think our owner, uh, Jim Goodman, who's had the team since, um, the early nineties, um, I think the weight came from him. I I think he did feel that owning that team was a responsibility to the community and not just, you know, some type of, you know, investment that he needed a specific ROI on. Yeah. And so I believe that the, the, the pressure to do great things came from, you know, him wanting us to be that community asset. And, that carried through in everything that we did. I I felt like for years we probably could have gone up on price very easily. He insisted that we, you know, we keep price, uh, at, at a place that, you know, families could afford. Um, in fact, I I don't think the entire time I worked there in 13 seasons, uh, anyone ever complained their prices were too high. Sometimes people would complain the prices were too low because they they felt like (laughs) we should, uh, you know, have it at a price point that only certain people can maybe afford, and they could they could get a better seat. But um, I think that the, he understood the responsibility to the community uh, of Durham and the greater you know Raleigh Durham area, and we we felt that um, maybe more so than kind of the the fame brought on by the movie Bull Durham and the um, you know the 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 gravity of being you know kind of one of these. Um, you know, well-known minor league baseball operation.
0: Yeah. It's, uh, it's amazing what Durham has done. And you played such a key role uh, for that for, for so many years. Um, I always wondered that is, you know, it's the, like, all right, guys, we are the Durham Bulls. So we've got to up our game because we are Durham. And, you know, there's only a handful of teams I believe uh, that can make that hopefully uh, when we move to Worcester, that will be one of those. But, uh, you know, I always just found that uh, very interesting. So from Durham, um, for the most part, now uh, you made the seamless transition from the minor leagues to the NBA. Can you talk about your role with Teambo, um, which is you know an, an acronym for Team Marketing and Business Operations? What does your daily What does your day look like each day, uh, John?
1: Well, there's a lot of variety in the work, so mm-hmm. I, uh, just like in minor league baseball, there's um, I'm not sure any few days look the same, but I joined the NBA um, during the 11, 12 uh, basketball season. In fact, there was a a lockout that year that ended um, the day after Thanksgiving. And I actually interviewed that following Monday for a job within, within PIMBO and began work uh, the first week of January, 2012. And my, um, you know, Responsibility in taking that job was um, a a big growth area for the league. They understood that I had a lot of experience in minor league baseball. The big growth opportunity for the NBA was growing uh, what was then the NBA Development League and was now the NBA G League. Uh, At the time, there were, uh, I believe we had 14 teams in the league. Five of them were NBA-owned. And there was a, uh, a great desire to have every NBA team own a um, what what's now the G league a, a, a team within the league. And uh, so then it became a matter of really launching franchises as a big part of uh, my responsibility. And so uh, I think the first one that that we were able to do was, um, with the Warriors in Santa Cruz, California, going in and and taking a, a community uh, that never really had a sports team of any kind, uh, helping get a building built in, in short order, and having um, having that team launched that that very year, and um, and that team's been a huge success. They now sold out. They've now sold out straight games. Um, they uh, are really kind of a, uh, a good example for other teams that have come on since then. And so uh, it's a big part of what I do, but I also help you know, uh, in, in the WNBA. I help uh, in, in the NBA. We put on a number of workshops for our teams where we, um, you know, we're, we're, we're a department that is set up To uh, provide assistance to all of our uh, teams across all leagues NBA, WNBA, G League, and the 2K League. And in that, we, um, you asked about, you know, kind of the typical responsibilities. Within those responsibilities, we're, we have a team of people that go out and spend time um, with our teams in market. Uh, really speaking, across the full business, and that's what I do. My responsibility is to um, go in, spend a few days in market with the team in a um, in an environment where we're we're meeting with department heads and staff, coaching them up on um, on any area of their business that where they may need help, but also collecting best practices. And, you know when they're doing you know, really really great things are there are things that we can take from that team and, um, and look to share with others. So how many, how many teams
0: do you, um, do you, uh, do you work with? Do you have like certain teams or is it, does it
1: vary? So it has varied over time. And, you know, there, there are times where we switch up, uh, the teams that we're working with. Right now I work with, um, six teams and so i would say that most of my time is spent going into market with those six however i will from time to time um go with a peer to one of their teams to assist or again if we're doing launch situations or maybe even critical care situations in the nba or the wnba with existing teams go in and assist there as well gotcha and um, you
0: you said you, you, you launched these D League teams and well now they're G League teams, I'm sorry. Um, what goes what's your role w- with a launch? What does a launch look like? Right? These are when you're launching them, they're never existed before and now boom, all of a sudden they they exist. Can you take us through kind of soup to nuts from you know, the idea to the prep, then to like kind of game one and through season one? What is that what does that look like? Uh in general,
1: Sure. So um, I've been able to be a part of six or seven of these now, and each one of them is a little different. In, in the case of Santa Cruz, a, a team was moved from Bismarck, North Dakota to Santa Cruz and a stadium was built. And really uh, every aspect of that team getting started had to be done in a matter of about six months. And so I was there uh, probably three out of four weeks during a month um, on the ground meeting with um, key players that were going to be essential to getting the team launched the right way. So, you know, there's a construction project that's going on and I may be in on those meetings to assist with, you know, look, these are some of the specs that are required in order for the, the arena to be compatible with the you know, uh, the, the expectations for this lead. Uh, so you weigh in there. But yeah, I'm also, you know, going to sales events uh, each night to talk about the team, get people interested in uh, investing as a, as a sponsor or purchasing season tickets, or um, may, maybe it's a group sales event where we're talking to people about, you know, how they can perform at halftime or sing the national anthem and, and uh, the group package that can be a part of that. And so it's helping sell tickets. It's helping sell sponsorship, it's helping get the, um, you know, the marketing effort out to the community. So people, you know, know who we are when our reps are, are, are giving them a call on the phone. And so it's a, um, you know, a, a pretty unique setup in a situation where you're building an arena. I do, I do think that there is a uh, an advantage in a situation where you do have an arena going up because that's making front page news in yeah. in that market, and people are curious about it, and they see steel coming out of the ground, and it, it it just it's top of mind in that community. What more often than not we're doing is going into existing buildings. Where you know maybe they've had a hockey team, or maybe they've had maybe even a, a basketball team that didn't work, and we're coming in there um, this time though with sources, resources that the previous team probably didn't have. We're NBA owned. We have uh, you know the support of the NBA team behind this investment, and are able to do things you know the, the right way. That that looks a little bit different in a setup where you're going in somewhere existing because you don't have that sort of um, um, that that media element where people are following the construction of a building.
0: Yeah. And I think, too, that when you go into an existing market, you're basically talking to sponsors and fans uh, who think they already know the answer to the test. Right. So it's like, oh, well, this team did it this way and it didn't work. But you got to sell them and talk through with them that. No, no, no! But that's not the way that we're going to do it, and it's a it's a challenge. It's definitely a mountain to climb, uh, and it can it can be difficult. But that's uh, why they have great people like you doing it.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting that you say that. We've we've got and you know, we've gone into markets where you know teams, not even basketball, just maybe an arena football team that that just got up and left in the middle of the night. And, you know, took people's money and yeah, it's you know, awful stuff. And you're having to overcome. Uh, those kinds of trust issues and and things like that, moving into uh, a new community and and maybe an existing building. But uh, the the great news is that, um, you know, over the last eight seasons, the league has uh, really grown. You know, the G League um, now now has 28 teams. Um, All but a couple are owned by the NBA team. And we're really close to having – You know, all thirty teams in the NBA have a G League team. Uh, You know, and and really kind of looking at you know the way minor league baseball has done it, and they they probably have a hundred year head start. (laughs) Uh, But uh, really using that as a a nice model for you know what can be done you know in these communities.
0: I think the NBA uh, has you know the G League being one of them uh is an example of I just love I just love them from a business standpoint is they're always seem to be on the cutting edge of to use a you know uh, an overused term but uh you know from a sales standpoint from a marketing standpoint from just you know look at what they're doing in e-gaming you know the uh you know e-sports look at what they're doing with the jersey patches um what do you think is next uh, that will be uh, that the NBA will lead on. That will be an industry changer for all of uh, all of the sports business.
1: Look, I, I think the, the big changes that you see on the horizon one is around fan behavior. You're just seeing people uh, purchase much differently today than they were, you know, ten years ago. Uh, part of that is the secondary market impact on the season ticket. Um, you're in a subscription economy where people you know, see the way Netflix does business and kind of expect the same type of customer experience where, you know, maybe I can pay a flat rate and, and you know, as much use out of this product as I, as I want. And you're seeing teams gravitate to that. I think that um, their behavior as it relates to the broadcast is uh, something to be paying attention to as well. And can we enhance the broadcast so that, you know, it's, um, you know, not only, you know, more interesting, but maybe more palatable for an audience that has a shorter attention span. if people who are less likely to sit in front of their TV for a couple of hours uh, to, to watch or not even their TV in front of their chair. Yeah, right? you know, we're seeing more and more, um, you know, uh, people gravitating to the smaller screen to watch and consume games. And I think that, you know, if we're on the forefront of that activity. Um, we're, we're in a good spot. I also think um, gambling is going to change uh, the, the landscape pretty dramatically as well. And that's something we're um, really focused on, knowing that, you know, if people have a, a vested interest in games, they're going to be more likely to watch. <laughs> what kind of experience can we provide to to those fans? Um you know, I think, um, you, and you've even seen it with, um, you know, how the impact of fantasy football, for instance, impacts a product like the NFL Red Zone. You know, where you know fantasy football uh, players are going to go to that panel to kind of see, get the quick hit and the action that's happening that impacts, you know, their fantasy football team. I, I think that that could be exponential as it relates to. Um, you know, the gaming industry and how that has an impact on sports. So, you know, I think fan behaviors and the gambling, you know, are, are two big ones. And then certainly, you know, international growth uh, of the sport is a, is a big focus. Uh, we have a, a basketball league that's uh, starting in Africa uh, that, you know, you got a billion people on that continent that, you know, getting them closer to the game is a high priority as well as what's happening you know, with the population explosion in India and the um, the opportunity that, that that lies there, where basketball is not a, you know one of the top three free sports in in that country, but uh, has certainly has the potential to be. So you know I think you know, those are those are the big areas in which we're we're really focused, um, you know, coming up.
0: Yeah, and I think the NBA does, like, they just see that, and they go after it, and they go after it in such a thoughtful, meaningful way, Uh, you know, like Africa, like India, uh, and like uh, the very unique partnership uh, with MGM uh, that will, you know, they're the the, uh, official gaming partner, I want to make sure I get that right, uh, of the NBA, and... um, I think that could have, uh, as you discussed, a meaningful impact uh, on the NBA and kind of the sports industry in general.
1: I expect it will, and and again, it's something that we're uh, constantly paying attention to. Our, our group within Teambo, there's also a um, a group that we, we work right alongside global strategy and innovation, and they're they're looking at, at things that, that can be done to uh, again grow the game internationally, but, but also, you know, just look at at these trends and determine that, you know, you know, we may have to make changes to, uh, you know, how we, how we do things, uh, how, um, how we can maybe speed up the game without taking away from the game action. I think the G League is interesting this year, you know, an experiment that's being done is, um, you know, now when, when you're fouled, instead of taking a two-shot foul, you go and you shoot one free throw that counts for two points. Um, huh. and, and and the same with a three-pointer. You go shoot for one free throw and it counts for three points, and it's a way to speed up the game. It's a way, that, you know, in, in a, at, a, at a moment that isn't detrimental to the fan experience, um, but, you know, it eliminates all the, the high fives at the at the free throw, which can you know, <laughs> take a few seconds every time. Uh, but uh, those are the kinds of, of things that are happening in order to, you know, meet the fans where they're at. And um, we, we know that, you know, that there's a little bit shorter attention span. If there's a way that we can, you know, enhance the game, um, you know, knowing that I think we're willing to do it.
0: It's, it's incredible what the NBA is doing. So um, one last question, I'm, but there's kind of two questions, but you travel around uh, and see multiple teams at the NBA level, the WNBA level, Uh, the G League level, um, and you see multiple, you know, uh, people at different uh, levels in their career and their staff, Um, you know, a lot of our audience is kind of coming into that first year of their uh, of their uh, of of their careers. So two, uh, two questions. What do you think the best entry level employees do in year one? And what do you think is the most common mistake which people should stay away from?
1: Yeah, those are great questions. I, I feel like the best ones really you know work to identify where, where their strengths are. Um, they I think the people that stick around in this industry, they all probably have a passion for what they do, but then it's also combining that passion with something they're good at. And That you know that that doesn't that connection doesn't happen for everyone. I think some people get into the sport because they're passionate about it and just can't really find that job that's the right fit for them. And so I think the people that are getting into it at an early uh, point in their career, they're good at identifying like, okay, this is my strength. This is something that I'm good at. Um, When I when I got started, I I didn't think ticket sales was going to be something that I was good at. Um, quite frankly. But what I what I did have a strength in was problem solving. I felt like I'm good at fixing things and solving problems that either people have or that you know organizations have. How can I use that to be successful in this career? And I realized that like selling really is problem solving. It's listening <laughs> hey, to, to the other person uh, on the other side of the conversation and trying to provide a solution for whatever ails them. And so I think for for young people getting into this industry, it's really trying to discover that even better. If you can discover it while you're in college, Um, you know, I had a few jobs while I was in school. uh, One of them, you know, working for promotions and marketing for A&M, but also worked for the local TV station, uh, the CBS affiliate. And that job was instrumental in my growth because I realized I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> no kidding. I, I'd, I'd get on camera and I'm like, "Oh man," you know. I go back and watch it and I'm like, oh, "What a struggle." That's why I don't listen to these podcasts after I do them. I don't want to know how bad I am at this. <laughs> yeah, I get it. I mean, I and I I remember I was at an A and M uh, Houston football game that was in the Astrodome. That's where the people used to play their their home football games. And it probably took me 20 takes to get something that was halfway decent to, uh, to be able to, like, front air. And I thought, boy, I don't think I'm good after this. Okay. And so early on, I was able to figure out what, you know, I, I do like the problem-solving element of this business. And here's a way that I can use it. So, again, trying to find that early in your career. And then, you know, we talked about, you know, really being able, willing to do anything, but do it with hustle. I mean, do it where, you know, you're, you know, showing up to work early, you're willing to do anything that anybody asks, you're you're one of the last ones there, you know, that that you really, you know, put forth a a strong effort that gets recognized probably more than like who's the smartest on staff or, you know, you know, the person has the brilliant idea every once in a while, but they're not, you know, hustling. Um, those people are probably gonna get bypassed by the people that are that are making it happen and they're really working their tail off. Yeah, I, I couldn't
0: agree with you more. I we preach all the time. There's two things in life you control is effort and attitude, and I think your discussion today on uh front office features, uh what well, exemplified that is, uh, you work hard and you do it with a smile on your face, you're gonna be all right. There'll be people like you, uh, who will teach them along the way on the specific, you know, tasks that you need to be able to accomplish, but you can't teach effort and attitude. And, uh, I think that's great, uh, advice that you just gave, but, um, John, I think uh, I want to thank you again for uh, for joining. I know your your, your day is uh, is very busy, uh, and uh, appreciate you uh, coming on front office features, and uh, and thankful for the time. So thank you very much.
1: Yeah, okay, anytime, any Rob. Really enjoy it. Uh, thanks for uh, this opportunity, and look forward to catching up with you real soon. All
0: right, talk soon. All
1: right, Be good.